0: Hello again, all my gorgeous listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast, where we chat all about the wonderful world of sex, sexuality and the body. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I am always delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society and of course, my favourite topic of sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise to help keep the mics on or if you like, please pop over to Apple and rate and review. If you want to get in touch about the podcast, the Instagram and Twitter is at Podcast. So I'm super excited for this episode because it's my hundredth episode, which is just wild. A um, hundred times talking about sex, that's a lot of hours. Um, so yeah, it's really, really exciting and um, part of this I'm going to also be running a competition over on Instagram to give away some awesome sex related goodies. So pop over there after you have a listen here and win yourself some cool stuff to help you have some great sexual wellness. So speaking of sexual wellness, what is it? Why am I talking about it so much on the podcast? Where am I going with that? I have the perfect guest to cover this with today and she's going to tell me all about what sexual wellness actually is and how to have it in your life. So today I'm talking to Jay Watts who uses the pronouns she and they. is an Afri-Lachin, Queer sexuality and diversity scholar, as well as the CEO of the Centre for Empowered Sexual Wellness. She is a Bachelor of Science in Social Studies Education from the University of Louisville. Master's of Arts and Human Services from Eastern Kentucky University, a Master's of Education in Cultural Foundations of Education. And she has almost completed a PhD in mental health with a focus on race, sexuality and healing. And that is from Walden University. So in 2022, she's going to be Dr. J. They have over a decade in Sexuality and Justice, Diversity, Equity and Belonging. Her academic journals and writings can be found in the Diverse Issues in Higher Education, Encyclopedia of Social Justice and Diversity, the Journal of Social Research, ScholarWorks and three in-progress publications in Sexuality and Intimacy. And if that's not enough, Jay is currently focusing her dissertation journey on exploring the role of sexual racism on sexual satisfaction and sexual shame of black women in the United States. She's also an ASEC counsellor in training and a certified sexologist through World Association of Sex Coaches. And at the American College of Sexologists International. And beyond academia, she is a mother, a board member for the Effing Foundation of Sex Positivity and Consultant for Faith
1: and Political
0: Leaders. Jay, yeah, it's some impressive bio. Welcome
1: along to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's um <laughs> You know, when people read off my bio, I'm like, who is that? <laughs> yeah, like, it's that? <laughs> not me. It's
0: not me. You've been at it for a long time. That is a lot of
1: achievements. It's, thank you. But kind of like what you were saying, you know, this is the 100th episode, and time flies when you're having fun. Mm-hmm. Time flies when you're doing, like, amazing work that yeah. is transformational. Absolutely. So um, it um it doesn't seem like that long, but... You know, I guess it has been in the scheme absolutely. of things. When
0: you find your passion, it, it's not work, you know, it's just fun stuff to do. Although like completing PhDs, some people might not describe it as fun. But yeah, it's stressful fun, <laughs> that kind stressful of approach. <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. absolutely. <laughs> so you come here you are like, oh, you're, you're just such a highly educated person in, in this particular field. And, and you're coming at it from personal experience, from academic experience, from community experiences, from cultural experiences. So that's that's what I love to see, because that's what sex is. It's all the things, you know, mixed in into one thing. But talk to me about how you would define what sexual wellness is, because we say it a lot on the podcast and sometimes, you know, it's a new concept for a lot of people to understand. So how, how would you define sexual wellness? Thank you,
1: And. You now, sexual wellness has so many different definitions because it's different from person to person. Um, I think of sexual wellness as this holistic way of being when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to health, when it comes to making sure that you feel like you belong in an intimate space. It's hard to accomplish when society has all of these boxes that they say that you should fit into. That in order to be a perfect partner, you have to do it this way. In order to love yourself, you have to do it that way. And even sometimes as a sexologist, we can be so limiting in the way that individuals can express intimacy and sexuality. So when it comes to sexual sexual wellness, I add that belonging into it. Because we know that there's individuals that express intimacy in ways that may not be erotic, that may not be what we think of sexuality, Um, especially our asexual and our demi gray A population that may be much different in expressing intimacy, but it's still there. And I think that's so important for people to consider. So just to define it again, sexual wellness is that way of being its health, its wellness It's holistic, and its way of making sure that you feel that you belong in a space of intimacy and sexuality or erotic and it's also about body education it's also about making sure that you feel that you are in the space for not just somebody else but yourself as well too Mm. not neglecting that
0: Mm, I really really like that definition that's so Uh, like it's very affirming because I think for a lot of people sex is just the physical side of things and there's so much more to it than that like sex can be spiritual emotional it can be financial it can be political It, it just there's so many aspects to it and I think in our society we're so new to talking about sex very publicly that we haven't gotten to, to tackle all those kind of things just yet so it, it's like where do people start <laughs> like that's you know there's a, a lot of ways to kind of approach sex beyond here's 57 positions in the karma Sutra or however many positions are in it. it's been a while since I read it <laughs> but yeah how do how do we like take step
1: 101 I think it's important to start with yourself even as sexual wellness experts and sexologists, in order to do this work well, in order to be able to see what wellness is, you have to start with yourself. You know, when I'm working with sexologists to support and training or support and development, I often ask them, have you actually had sexual coaching or had conversations about sexual wellness? Because we often have this bubble that we put ourselves in as well too. And I think when it comes to sexual wellness, even if you're not in the field of doing the work, if you're just an individual that wants to explore themselves or explore their partner or explore just what it means to just be, it starts with yourself, doing an inventory,
0: Mm. a
1: pleasure inventory.
0: Oh, I like the sound (laughs) of that, talk us more about (laughs) that.
1: I actually like for my clients uh, for my sex coaching and sex counseling clients before I even begin to get into like the nuts and bolts of what they're seeing me for, I start out with a pleasure inventory. And this is almost like an assessment of how they think intimacy, intimacy should look like for them, what they've been taught and also things that maybe when it comes to boundaries, what needs to be broken along the way Um, in a scaffolding type of approach. You know, some people say like, oh, you used to be a social, a history teacher, a social studies teacher. How does that play into sex? Well, it does a lot, too, when I'm talking about scaffolding and scaffolding learning and understanding where someone is and the pleasure inventory does that you can do that with yourself you don't have to necessarily do it also with a sex counselor or a sex coach although it's very helpful that's when you'll start to see outside of that box but doing a pleasure inventory is essential of knowing where you've been where you are and where you hope to be and that also means to do a little bit of pleasure mapping Have you taken that time to just sit back and know what parts of your body, what parts of sensations and smell actually makes you feel happy, Mm. makes you feel like this is something for you? And it really also starts with that and starting with yourself. What makes you feel well? That wellness is about happiness and thriving and surviving in a space. And sometimes it's not about penetration.
0: No, and that's a really, really good point because the way we are brought up is, you know, sex is when two married adults who are heterosexual love each other very much and the man puts his penis in the woman's vagina and then a baby magically appears um so it's like we're kind of missing a few steps there and and all that but our whole culture is sex is penetration and then obviously it's really hard to think outside that when that's the only message you get from society from porn from tv to music all this kind of thing so it's like how how do we even start unlearning all that stuff because it can be very toxic all that stuff all the time
1: it's important to start the unlearning process but again it also starts with us as individuals Mm -hmm. of doing that inventory understanding that yeah i'm so happy of what my grandparents and my mom taught me as you know a child that grit and that survival mentality that being able to do amazing things but there's some things i had to unlearn
0: hmm mm-hmm. it does not
1: mean that you're disloyal to your culture or your community or your upbringing it's actually saying you know I'm actually wanting to be my best self to discover my own new normal my normal not society's normal but my own new normal and that's so essential in breaking those you know those trends and those boxes that were put in that's how you really start to shift what sexual wellness means for you not for jay not for dr west but for you uh, listeners that are out there um being able to say like this is something that i feel that is my new normal making sure that of course it's safe and sane and consensual
0: Mm -hmm. the magic ingredients absolutely but that's that's it's very hard you know like you said you're you're doing work on um sexual racism and stuff so some people have more to unpack than others and you know queer people have more to unpack than straight people and and like you said when we start bringing racism and disability and all that kind of things into things like how how does sexual racism impact our journey
1: to sexual wellness it impacts a lot um you know sexual racism is those dis- those discriminatory views, those thought processes, the way that society kind of molded this narrative or this, this sexual script that includes race in a very derogatory way. And oftentimes we don't think about it that impacts our ability to see ourselves as humanized individuals within our sexual scope. You know individuals want to put themselves in a very Pious and pure box because they don't want to feed into a stereotype threat Like I don't want to be what society puts me in so I'm going to be the exact opposite I'm going to wear straight hair because I know society. It's not very You know great about my hair being kinky. I'm not going to wear short skirts or um, have my breast out a bit or cleavage out a bit because I don't want people to think that just because I'm a black woman that I'm also overly sexualizing myself. Mm. And those racial undertones and overtones um, really informs how individuals think of intimacy. And we may not think that it's impacting the bedroom or the way that we're able to receive pleasure But what my research is wanting to discover is how it does impact sexual shame, how it does impact the way that individuals perceive their own pleasure. There's not any research on that right now. That's
0: shocking, like because sexual racism is not a new thing. This is not a modern invention, and that's such a pity that like there's more porn out there that's racism, racist rather than the research on sexual racism, and that's
1: that's a massive problem. It's a massive problem because oftentimes when people do research on race, it's about the derogatory side, right? It's about how can we prevent this particular culture or people from procreating? Teen pregnancy, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or HIV rates or AIDS rates or violent crimes but it's not about situating you know, pleasure into the mix. So really the bulk of my research is how can we utilize all of these spaces that have often seemed as very demonizing and demeaning as a way and a praxis to say that, hey, pleasure is justice. We're entitled to be happy. We're entitled to utilize what society has given us as sometimes breadcrumbs and, and lemons and make our own delicious lemonade, delicious nutrients that allows us to thrive and survive in spaces that people say that we should not own.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And obviously I can't emphasize from the emphasize from the, the racism part cause as a white woman that's something I haven't had to face but I know growing up in Ireland like we had that approach of like you know especially for women it was like you can't do this you can't do that and we locked women up in Magdalene Laundries for exploring their sexuality and you know I suppose sexu- racism interacts with misogyny as well quite a lot of the time um, but there's all those outside forces that really just want to control people's sexuality and specifically female sexuality is just being like this subject mass of control over the m- millennia, I suppose, really. But h- how do we like, you know, it's a very it's a lot of work for like one person to unpack centuries and millennia of oppression, of racism, of misogyny, of ableism, all those kind of things. So It's like, where do you start as one person? to to unpack all these things as well as dealing with all those cultural messages and all that kind
1: of stuff it's it's a lot to deal with it is a lot to deal with but i think also you know you've kind of defined it without intending to it starts with unpacking those messages within ourselves you know we all uh, no matter who you are we all have explicit biases and also implicit biases those explicit biases are things that we're totally aware of that maybe we're strongly for and strongly against. And we have those implicit biases that are really defined. And we, we may not even know that we have it based on society, based on our education, based on what our religious institutions have taught us. Oftentimes, those implicit biases rear those ugly heads when there's stress when you're put in a situation where you have to choose or when you feel that you're in attack mode. So, you know, in the United States, we're talking about Karens right now, right? If you saw all the, (laughs) you've seen all of those videos of these Karens that call the police on individuals of color or, you know, just make very outlandish, you know, uh, ways of trying to criminalize people for little infractions. And, you know, a lot of those individuals, when they get called out, they say, I'm not, I'm not racist. That's not me. This. I was just highly stressed at that moment. I have a friend that is Latinx. Oh my God. I have a friend yeah. that's black. Oh. I have a friend that's of this particular population. Mm. But we know implicit bias works because you're totally unaware of it. And yes, you may have friends within those groups. But if your explicit bias is shown due to those stressors, we know that there's work that needs to be done and that takes some unpacking in awareness of saying hey i just don't know a lot about this particular population i'm not going to ask my friend hey you're you're black tell me everything about the black experience well we don't want to tokenize individuals but we do want to say what are ways that i can learn on my own as well too as well too because you may have some trusted friends that are totally okay with it but also, don't put them in a position where they have to be the spokesperson for the whole entire culture. Yeah, we don't want to do that. And
0: not like you to become the oracle for everything. Yeah. It's, it's like you know their whole. Yeah. I remember that actually because I was going to ask um, a person at a conference about trans issues, and because they had, you know, identified themselves as trans, and then they said, "Oh, when people learn that I'm trans, I just become like th- the only trans person in the room, and everyone wants to ask me everything possible about trans." And they're like, "I'm just trying to." go to the shop, like, and live my life and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I can kind of take that as a learning moment and not do that ever. Um, so that's important. But yeah, like, there's people like yourselves as, you know, a certified sexologist and sex coach and all those kind of things. Like, is that, how do people use your services to gain, more I want to say control over their sexual wellness but I suppose even just like starting that journey and and also removing any kind of sense of shame you know I don't know if it's like where you are but in Ireland for a long time it was like there was a sense of shame oh you need to go to therapy there must be something wrong with you and now thankfully we are dismantling that as we speak Um, and it's not a shameful thing really there anymore but is there a shame in, in going oh I have to go to a sex coach or do people have all sorts of weird and wonderful ideas of what a sex coach
1: does? I can imagine they do. Yeah, they have a lot of, you know, preconceived notions. So I do sex counseling and I do sex coaching. They're two different confines. So sex counseling tends to be more intensive, um, longer appointments, more in dur- uh, duration. Sex coaching are sometimes those immediate questions. Um, And both have a major stigma to them sometimes because the automatic view that if you go to a sex counselor or a sex coach is that you have a problem. And oftentimes I really want people to know that it's not necessarily that there's a problem, but maybe there is a new way of thinking about something. A new way to consider that maybe you're, you're not aware of, but maybe you need to go to a sex sexpert or a sex counselor or a, or a sex educator or a sex coach to be able to say, oh, wow, I never thought to use a spice it up jar for my, my marriage. You know, a spice it up jar is just this jar where you take some post-it notes, you two write down some things that you always wanted to try with each other, have those conversations and make sure that it's consensually written down You're putting it in this jar and then occasionally drawing from that jar, jar and doing some things to spice it up wow i would have never knew that if i wouldn't have went to a sex counselor or a sex coach or sex educator so it's not saying that there's a problem sometimes there may be but sometimes your coach and your counselor will say hey it seems like you all are having some great intimate moments Here's some things to consider. So don't think of it as a shame moment. Think of it as when we talk about wellness, we're talking about striving to be our best selves. You know, when we want to be our best selves, sometimes we have to reach outside of ourselves to get that support. I even have to reach outside of myself to get support. I have my own sex coach that I go to. Because sometimes, even within the work, you have to reach outside of yourself and say, what else do I need to do as well?
0: it's a long ongoing process it's like yeah. that's the thing about sex I think the more you learn the more you realize you don't know and you, you have to kind of go on and go on and go on but like I kind of liken it to like things like um like cooking and stuff like most just know how to cook you know we kind of we're alive so you know we have food in us somehow but if we want to expand on that we might take a, a course on like Thai cooking or something like that or you know like and there's nothing shameful in that you're just saying hey I want to like get more pleasure through food through different types of food and it's like yeah that should be a nice thing to do it that way I wonder yeah. like do people think um with sex coaching that it's like it's actually physical you know because there there are some kinds of sex coaching out there in the world that you know you're actually touching people like you know somatic kind of work but is, is that your particular field that you're in
1: so yeah. I'm not a somatic sexologist um there I have know some amazing somatic sexologists that are doing amazing work Myself, since I am um, finalizing my sex counseling credential through ASECT, um, and I'm also finalizing my sex education credential through ASECT as well, too, although I am a sex counselor in practice due to my education, um, that ASECT, which is one of the highest accrediting bodies for for sex counseling and sex education and sex therapy um, in the United States, um, it requires you to also not be somatic. So there is a liability oftentimes. And when you're affiliated with a professional body or a professional organization, you really are saying that you should not uh, do that. But there are also individuals that are uh, more touch therapists that do somatic touch. And I refer to, refer out, especially for individuals that are looking for that. So there are different types of sex coaching. Um, There's different types of sexologists. Myself, I'm not somatic. Primarily because I don't think within my particular practice, I'd need to be somatic, and I also work with a lot of survivors of trauma. Um, Now, there are people that I do refer out to that are Tantra uh, specialists or Tantricas, and they do more of an intimate touch um, and that allows for resensitizing and touch, especially after trauma, which is uniquely still important to the process. I collaborate with those individuals. So I collaborate with sex workers. I collaborate with individuals that are doing tantrika work. I collaborate with sex doulas that also often do somatic touch work. Um, I'm more so like putting the pieces together, um, being able to develop a plan and I call it more so pleasure, purpose, and passion work. Oh, so developing like those planning for pleasure, passion, and purpose work. Um, And sometimes that means to refer out when it comes to touch work. So it depends what you'll find. Um, So if you're not um, wanting to engage in some type of touch, uh, make sure that you do your research on individuals that are, you know, sex coaches and sexologists to make sure that even within somatic touch folks or somatic individuals, they respect those boundaries they'll still be able to work with you without that touch. That's just their special specialty. Yeah. Um, You might as well go to the
0: right person, you know, for the job. So, yeah. 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 Absolutely, and it's it's great to know that there's so many different people out there doing this kind of work, which is fantastic. Um, I want to go back to what you said there about um the the healing from trauma part, because that would be a huge barrier to sexual wellness for quite a lot of people, because lots of people have unfortunately experienced sexual violence in so many different ways. Um, how do how do you get started then if that is is your experience and you know you want to reach out because that can be very scary for a lot of people to you know get back into the world of, of sex and trying to reestablish what pleasure and boundaries really are for you as, as this this newer form of yourself that's been through trauma.
1: Yes, I think it's such a and one of the reasons why I got into this work because I wanted to figure out a way to help survivors develop their their new normal for themselves. Um I wanted to help survivors to know that pleasure is something that they can own. um, That individuals don't have to take that away from them. Um, And society doesn't have to take that away from them. So um, I think it's important, especially within this work, um, one thing that I do is really kind of um, really reacclimate them to what intimacy looks like for them. Some people are not ready for, for sex. And it's not my place to say, you need to, to go ahead and just do it. Um, some people, it's more scaffolding process that it's about body image, it's about being able to uh, feel safe and secure in oneself. Um, so it's a scaffolding, starting with where they are and being able to build them up to what they feel is appropriate for them. And that consent and that proactive consent along the way being able to, especially during intake, having those conversations, what would be your goal for your passion, pleasure, and purpose planning? What would be something that you would like to accomplish from this? Not what I want for them, but what they hope to accomplish, which may be different from person to person. Um, I, a lot of times I collaborate as an auxiliary support for mental health counselors and therapists. Um, although my degrees have situated along the lines of mental health, my doctoral degree is focusing on mental health. Um, I am not a psychotherapist. On purpose, That although I could be on purpose, I'm focusing on sexuality and intimacy primarily. I do collaborate with a lot of mental health therapists to be able to work with them on saying these are therapeutic modalities that they're doing, maybe CBT, Maybe, you know, different type of eye movement therapies as well, too, but also collaborating with them to say this is some ways that we can support in resensitizing touch and intimacy within their therapeutic intervention as well. So just know that, you know, for survivors out there, there is a place for you all within this work, too. And a good sexologist and sex coach and a sex therapist will be able to support you with wherever you are
0: that's really nice as well because I think some people think oh I should be this far ahead on my healing and I'm not and it's like we it's really important to meet people where they are because everyone heals in different ways and different time frames and, and things like that as well so that that's always important to remember I, I want to go back to you, you mentioned touch there and you know uh, re- navigating touch and figuring out what works for you and what what are your thoughts on the role of things like sex toys in sexual wellness because There's a whole world of sex toys out there, ready, ready and waiting for fun times.
1: Yes. Um, Sex toys is, you know, from person to person can be different. For some people, penetrative toys are very um, triggering for them. Um, And, you know, I like to have those conversations very proactively um, because me automatically recommending, well, maybe you should use a dildo. Maybe very triggering and saying, no, I'm not ready for penetration. But there may be other ways to achieve that as well, too. Vibration toys, suction toys as well, too. A lot of couples that are experiencing what touch is for them, especially after a breach in trust or, or an affair. And maybe they haven't touched themselves or touched each other in a while. Um, maybe it's rediscovering sensory. So really teaching them, like, maybe doing, using some sensory tools or a sensory will to discover what would be great pleasure points or pleasure zones or erogenous zones for them to discover. Um, So toys can be very, very much part of the process. It depends on the person, some people just aren't into it. Um, But there's also different toys for different folks, you know? Um, There's so much more out there than just dildos. And that's why it's so amazing (laughs) now that you can find so many different things (laughs) out there now.
0: like you name it it exists now which is fantastic to see there's even like biodegradable sex toys now so I love that like eco-friendly approach to everything is is fab well talk to me then about pleasure and because obviously that's such a huge part of sexual wellness but it's the idea of like how do we how do we name what pleasure is for us because you know it's it's like such a huge area. And like we said, a fraught area, lots of things. How do we get to define what pleasure means for us as individuals and then start navigating, enacting what we want when it comes to sexual pleasure?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, oftentimes I have people in particularly going back to the pleasure inventory, doing a pleasure inventory, being able to consider what has caused them joy and happiness and it not always has to deal with like penetration um sometimes it's senses a particular perfume or cologne um, there's some colognes and perfumes that just do it for me
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know nice um, right there.
1: yeah so even that can be such a passionate and pleasurable experience being able to stimulate that olfactory you know being able to stimulate those you know the the aromatherapy of it all, which can be very erotic in itself. Um, So stimulating all of those senses of taste and smell and touch, um, because it's different from person to person, but really reevaluating what makes me happy. And I even during my pleasure inventory, I asked them to think of beverages and drinks that stimulate the senses, because some people are into food play Um, Some people really enjoy a sensation of a food and the taste and the the texture of it, that stimulates pleasure of being able to understand that different types of touch something that maybe they don't enjoy. So I have them do pleasure mapping and that's so important as well too. We can do that on our own. We can touch different parts of our bodies with different types of modalities, ice, a washcloth. A um, sponge, or even the the bulb, the the point of a pin, just gliding across across your skin or your nails, can provoke different types of feelings and pleasure. And sometimes people say I had no idea that the back of my ear was something that really turned me on. That really spark the sensation within me well you wouldn't know unless you touch yourself unless you're able to map your pleasure out and that's so important with understanding what pleasure is for you
0: sure and yeah i like the thing like because people are thinking sometimes oh you're watching the zones or like you're a Gentalia or your breasts or something like that and there's so much more like our skin is our largest organ and you know likes to be touched in lots of weird wonderful different ways so yes always fab um i wonder how then we can explore like things like um touch but in conjunction with things like fantasies because fantasies can be Mm -hmm. a complicated thing for some people because they may not be things we might fantasize about things that, like, we don't necessarily understand or want to enact in real life or are not possible in real life. We had um, uh, Rachel Kramer Bustle on the podcast before, and she was talking about how there's a huge market in like dinosaur erotica. I was like, okay, that's definitely not, not possible in real life, unless obviously one of you is dressing up in a dinosaur costume and if so fair enough off you go um but so how do we get to the the fantasy part of things and enjoy exploring our fantasies but without that pressure of oh is my fantasy pc or what's what's going on in my head
1: yeah i think we have to always consider that pleasure and fantasy should be in the safe and sane and consensual component Mm. um there are individuals that are really, really into adult baby diaper play. Um, That is very much a very popular as well to becoming more popularized fetish that individuals are into. And that is great. And I am for celebrating individuals being able to explore that. But we know that that does not mean that you're going to explore that on youth and non-consenting bodies. Um, that individuals can explore adult baby diaper play by wearing diapers because they like the, the sensation or they like the submissiveness that they're able to, to bring to the table as well, too. That is a great ability to have fantasy in a safe, sane, and consensual way. But we always have to make sure we're aware of that as well, too, and when we enact our pleasure and our fantasies and that ability to do touch. Now, there's also, you know, like you, um, like you mentioned, the dinosaurs or the furries as well too. And um, furries are, you know, sometimes, especially for youth, they see some furries and they think of it as like a pop culture. But furries have also had a very erotic uh, connotation as well too within our, you know, Fet life community. Um, making sure that you're aware of that, especially if your children walk into your closet and find a furry outfit. Oh God, yeah, um, which <laughs> sometimes important. happen. And I have to navigate those conversations with parents. <laughs> How do you have those conversations with your children when they find out about your fetishes? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Being aware that it's important to give age appropriate responses, but also just being aware that it's totally okay to have safe, consensual and sane ways of intimacy, but also making sure that you're, you know, protecting individuals' ability to have age-appropriate ways of of understanding intimacy as well too Absolutely. especially if you're a parent
0: yeah may, maybe lock the furry suits away a little bit more um harder than just leaving, yes. leaving them out and stuff yeah mm-hmm. I, I think it's hard especially for some people who may fantasize about maybe things on on the rougher side of life and and then understanding what that means and i think that can be difficult for people as well who may have um you know have experienced sexual violence and stuff but then they're fantasizing about this kind of thing and there is such a huge disconnect between our minds and our bodies and you know conscious and what we do and what we don't want and i can imagine that's kind of upsetting for some people if if they just can't get why they're fantasizing about things so um what advice would you give to those kind of people who are struggling with what what gets them off
1: Yeah, I will say, you know, especially for the BDSM community, there's a large participation base of individuals that are survivors. They've done research on it. There's a large population that are survivors that engage in BDSM because BDSM is actually the standard for consent. It should be if done the right way. And I strongly stress that. Yeah, that's
0: very important. Practice the
1: right way. (laughs) It is the beacon of consent, because all parties have to proactively consent on how they're going to engage. And that is power over your body. That's power over your experiences. And a lot of survivors say, that's great. I actually get the control. This whole domain is mine that even if I'm in a submissive space, even if I'm a, in a very dominating space, that I'm, I'm able to control it and the other person's able to control what will and will not happen as well, too. It's a great, open, proactive conversation. And that is great, being able to explore that, but you want to explore that also with the support of other people that are in communities as well, too. Um, it's not enough to Google and googling can be very oppressive, yeah, and can sometimes, be, sometimes, sometimes unsafe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not everything on Google is a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, and pornography, and particularly in engaging in ways that may be something that you want to explore. Maybe you see something about BDSM or certain fetishes that you're really kind of enjoying. Pornography may not be the best tool for your learning Mm -hmm. um so there um there are great resources out there um that would be able to support another world association for sex coaches has some really great resources on their website for individuals within the fetish communities and bdsm communities I would make sure that you're, one, connecting with great people that are using this for transformation. And if you also um, are interested in exploring what it means for you, being able to take your time with it. Don't feel like you have to jump full force into something that you're unfamiliar with. It's going to be around. You'll have the ample opportunity. Um, Learn about it before you just jump full force into it.
0: Yeah, because that's the thing, like that newbie energy of like, oh, my gosh, I just found this really cool thing. And I have to, oh, I found a new person who wants to do it with me. And just to maybe take a step back and remember boundaries and red flags and, um, you know, that there are people out there who may not have our best intentions at heart sometimes. So, yes, yeah, I think that's that's very important. Um, And and just I suppose before we finish up, um, you know, I think um, boundaries are a thing that really help our sexual wellness. But I think it's something that we're not really taught about sometimes of how how to establish a boundary what a boundary actually is what it looks like I, in real life we might have heard the word but we don't know how to bring it into our own sexual experience so, so what is a boundary in relation to sexual pleasure?
1: yeah boundary is anything that you feel that you will and will not do um and I always you know especially when working with clients being able to understand their hard boundaries so things that there's no budging Um, maybe some soft boundaries that maybe they would like to try Um, you know and, and those soft boundaries are fluid so that means that you always have the right to change your mind even within those hard boundaries You have the right to change your mind and That's really the definition of it. Even when you set those boundaries, this is what I will and will not do. These are things I may want to try. You have the right to change your mind at any time. It's the beacon of of consent. And it's important to have that in any type of relationship that you may have, whether it's intimate, whether it's purely just for erotic purposes, maybe a friendship, But that's just important to have because it allows you to feel emotionally, psychologically, and physically safe. And when it comes to intimacy, if you're not able to have those three things in check, if your mind, body, and spirit are not safe, you're not going to be able to fully experience pleasure. Boundary is necessary for pleasure to happen
0: absolutely and it doesn't mean that there's a limit to pleasure or anything like that it's just pleasure on your terms and yes that's kind of the key for a safe exploration of of that pleasure so yes that's fab um listen jay it's been a a delight talking to you and it's lovely um to give our listeners you know more of an understanding of what sexual wellness is i think this could be a multi-part podcast because there's so many aspects to sexual wellness but i'm glad that we've kind of dipped everyone's toes in, so to speak, uh, and going from there. So where can people find you if they want to follow your work? Because you are doing a lot of work, and you're all over the place. It's so many things that are super interesting.
1: Thank you. Um, And thank you for having me. Um, You all can find me at J, that's J-A-Y, the, that's T-H-A, loveologist. So that's L-O-V-E-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. Um, you can find me on Instagram with that handle. Um, you can find me on Facebook. If you just type in Jay the Loveologist, you'll be able to find me on Facebook as well, too. Um, also, I have the Center for Empowered Sexual Wellness. Um, you can find me on there. It's um, just the handle, Empowered Sexual Wellness. Um, and you can just search me on Facebook that way, too. Um, yeah, be very happy to chat with anyone if also if you're just interested in getting into this work some people will say i really want to get into sexology work this is so cool um you have a great resource with dr west um and we can always team up and do some extra support on how to do this work Absolutely. you know we're super super educated in this work but you don't have to have all of these degrees um to dip your toe in sexology so
0: Absolutely not. So, brilliant. And Jay it's been absolutely amazing. And thank you so much for talking to me this tonight.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, brilliant. And look, happy um, 100th, uh, anim- is it an anniversary if it's 100? I don't know. Happy one hundred episode to GloS. And thank you for all my listeners to making that happen. I'm super um, honoured that everyone chooses to tune in. And regularly puts the podcast at number one in the sexuality charts, which is just like a wildest gold it's just um, incredible so to thank you all for my listeners to do pop over to the instagram enter the giveaway there um this podcast obviously goes out on monday as we are always a monday morning kind of person so the the competition should be up around thursday so you have about four days to enter so you know get your goodies on and treat yourself to some awesome goodies and i will chat to you next week for episode 101 bye